What do you see? I hope you begin to see what God sees. I hope you see someone with potential to make a big difference in someone's life. How many of y'all have ever heard of the story of the little, the little fella on the beach with the starfish? How many of you have never heard that story? Raise your hand real high. Raise your, that's good. That's plenty enough. This little fella was walking down the beach, and there was starfish that had washed up on the shore, and they were dying, all right? They're up on the shore, and the little fella, he grabs a starfish and throws it back out in the water, and he goes, I mean, you got to understand, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of starfish up on the beach. So he's going to one, and he'll throw it in the water. He goes to another one, and he throws it in the water. He goes to another one, and he throws it in the water. And this gentleman was watching him, and he kind of got irritated because he, he just realized, you know, it's, not, it's, it's impossible. You're not going to save all these starfish. And so he goes to the young man and, and says, Son, don't you understand? Don't you understand what you're doing is a waste of time? Don't you understand? It, it really doesn't matter what you're doing. And the little fella thought a minute, and he reached down and he grabbed his starfish, and he said, Well, it matters to this one. <laughs> and he grabbed another one, and he said, It matters to this one. Listen, one person, <clears throat> one person can't win everybody. But one person can win somebody. And I'm not asking you to do it all. I'm just asking you to do your part. And I'm asking you to, to listen, let's team up together. Let's band together and do what God's called us to do. And all God's people said, Amen. well, we're going to pray. And uh, Jared, where's Jared at? Is Jared in the house anywhere? Where you're pointing that that way? Are you hiding back there? My goodness, I, I, it's it's going to be a cool deal. I'll get to introduce one of my friends here in just a minute. But I got a few things to say uh, before we do, and uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna get started tonight. Man, I'm excited to be here. I'm telling you, I feel like I haven't been here in three years uh, since the fire. It's been so chaotic and crazy, and it's still that way. Today was just a I don't, I don't want to say a disaster because I'm here with my friends, so that's it, it ended great. Amen. But it's just one of those deals. But I'm glad we can come in and sit down and relax and, and get out of the rat race just a little bit and let God speak to us. Amen? Amen? So let's do that. Let's pray. And I want you to pray. And let's pray together and ask the Lord to speak to us. And, and this is what I want you to pray for, too. We've, uh, most of the time, most of the time, uh, uh, our staff gets together and we, we, we uh, solve issues and problems that come up here and there. And, and uh, we, we're kind of banging our heads with, with a particular situation we've been trying to solve and, and gumming around and we, we've dealt with it and dealt with it and dealt with it and dealt with it and, and discussed it and tried to come up with solutions. And so we just decided uh, that if we can't come up with a solution, we're just going to ask God to. If you're trying to do God's work, you got to do it God's way, but you better do it in God's power. Amen. Be strong in the, in the Lord. So how many of y'all will help us pray? I told our guys Tuesday, I said, we're going to pray all the way to Friday. And together, we're going to get together again Friday. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna come up with a solution for this. So how many of y'all will pray for your team that God's put over you? Will y'all help us pray for that? Well, let's pray for tonight that God will speak to us tonight. And then pray for uh, the, the deal we're going to try to solve on Friday. All right? Is everybody on, on, on the same page? Say amen. All right, Lord, thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you for the privilege and the honor it is to serve you and to be in this place. This is a special place. There's no doubt about it, no question in my mind. God, you're doing some awesome things here. And Lord, that's not just for our benefit. Lord, you are doing great things here so we can make a difference in this world. And not winning everybody, but winning somebody and doing our part as an individual Christian and I pray, God, that you'll touch us tonight. Give us what we stand in need of. I pray your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. <clears throat> as you know, as you know, this is Missions Month. We, we take a month out of the year. Uh, every year, we, 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 had, we skipped a year last year because we were right in the middle uh, of the building and everything going on there and and, uh, and we try to make an emphasis on missions. And usually, when you hear the word missions, uh, it's usually referring to foreign missions outside of uh, the United States. It, it could, sometimes it could entail being here in the States, but most of the time it's taking the gospel to the world. Go ye into all the world, 
Preach the gospel to every creature. Amen? Amen. But ye shall be witnesses unto me into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen? That is our job. Our job is not necessarily a counseling center. Our job is definitely, definitely not an entertainment center. If you come just to be entertained, just to feel good about yourself and to help you get through the week, and that's the only thing you get out of this deal, uh, that, that, you, you've totally, totally missed it. It is not for the sake of entertainment whatsoever. It's for the purpose of edification. Amen? We're here to get encouraged and edified and build up. But not build up just so we could be built up. Not so we could just be better. Not so we could just be stronger. Not so we could just handle life better. We are to be built up and edified so we can be better soldiers and better witnesses, better proclaimers of the gospel. The main purpose, ultimately, ultimately we know the main purpose of the church, the main purpose of the Christian, God created us to glorify Him. Amen? God created us to bring glory to Him and honor to Him. When you start your prayer, He said, pray in this manner. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So before you ever ask for anything, before you ever ask for provision, before you ever ask for a pardon, before you ever ask for your needs to be met, you're to come to Him in praise and glory and honor. And then He says at the end, for thine is the glory and the power. Why, what are we doing? We're putting Him in the front. And we're putting praise in the back. We're to bring honor and glory to Him. Say amen, church. So, how do we do that? We bring glory to Him by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has given the church the responsibility. When I say the church, I hope you understand this. I'm not talking about this platform and the chairs you're sitting in or, or the building. I'm talking about you and me as an individual. God has given us the responsibility to take the gospel to every creature. Missions and outreach. Missions and outreach. Uh, we we, we kind of describe it this way. Missions is taking the gospel to the people. Outreach is bringing the people to the gospel. Now say that with me. Missions is taking the gospel to the people. But outreach is bringing the people to the you see, here, you see how this works? We give. We give and we serve and we plan and we sin because we want to take what we have. What is that? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many of y'all believe in a little tribe in Africa, there's a little pygmy in that tribe that needs to hear what I just said? They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the good news. They need to hear the message that there is a Savior and there is a condition that we all have that's called sin. And that Savior came to rid us of sin so we could have a home in heaven. Every creature needs to hear that. Every creature needs to know that. Every person needs to know that. And God put us here to do that, to proclaim the gospel. Now, how do we do that? <clears throat> how do we do that? We've got to do it here and we've got to do it there. We've got to do it here we got to do it there. As we sin, and as we send the missionaries we have sent, and we have trained the ones we have trained, and we, we support the ones we support, they are taking what we have here and taking it there. But guess what? That doesn't absolve us of the responsibility we have here. We have to bring people to the gospel here. That's why we invite people to church. And by the way, by the way, I mean, let me... <laughs> Let me say this too. Uh, it's not just enough for us to say, hey, come to church. It's not. Now, now we do that, and I want you to do that, because it works, right? 80% of the people that show up to church, they came because a friend or family member invited them or a coworker invited them. That's just, a, it is a fact of life. But nowhere, nowhere in the Bible is there a command to the church to say, y'all come to us. The Great Commission starts with a word that says, come on everybody, say it again, go. So we, we, we've got to do this. We've got to be able to witness and invite, 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 invite. Secret to church growth is invite. The secret to invite is excite. Amen. The secret to getting excited is getting involved in making this happen. Now, but we got to be willing to take and share our testimony, share our story.
Be ready always to give an answer to any man that asks you the reason of the hope that is in you. Say amen right there. So how do we accomplish this? How are we going to do the abroad and, and, and the local and, and, and reaching those in Belgium and reaching those in Mexico, reaching those and, and all these other places? Listen, we do it by people who are willing to go, and we send them. We support them. Uh, several different ways that we give. I, I, I'll give you my own personal. Uh, I, I, most of y'all know my, my dad, uh, he's not here tonight. He had back surgery, and so he's kind of he's down for the count. And, uh, but when I was growing up and, and under his leadership, we just, we just learned uh, the different ways to be able to accomplish the Great Commission. Right now, I, I, most everybody in the church is giving three ways. One way, we give to the local church. We give our tithes and offerings. That is, that is the part we give because God's been good to us. Amen? We give out of a cheerful heart. And we're going to talk more about that Sunday. Uh, we give to, so the lights can stay on. How many of y'all appreciate the air conditioner in the summertime? How many of y'all appreciate the heat in the wintertime? Amen? How many of y'all appreciate the, the ladies that come in and clean so you don't have to? All that stuff takes place and is, is, is made possible by our giving, by our, our, to the general fund, the tithing. We use the word tithe if you don't like that word. I know some people don't believe in a tithe, but uh, you believe in giving. Whatever, whatever you want to call it, it, it is what it is. That's what that goes to. It goes to mission, uh, ministry here. Uh, ultimately, everything is missions, but, but as we, we divide it out, it's ministry here at the church. That's how we help people uh, who, who's had house fires. We've just had another one, uh, I think, that either last night or it was this morning. Uh, we have people that, that, that are, are struggling or in need or, or a problem or whatever it is. All the ministry that we're able to do comes through that. Then we, we give through our building an extra amount to see the building uh, uh, finished and see the parking lot finished. So we give through our campaign that we started with that. And man, that's been going tremendously well. How many of y'all have enjoyed the concrete parking lot? Isn't that great? Man, that's a blessing. I, I enjoy this building we're in now. We're, that is made possible through that offering and given to that. But this is the one, this is the one that, that, that I really like and I really uh, want to talk about because this is what makes this happen. And brothers, I don't mean to take up all your time, but I'm just running with what's in my head and in my heart. Uh, it's our missions giving. And we, we grew up, and it was always called faith promise missions or faith promise giving. And what that is, I'm not going to go in this great tea deal because I don't want to uh, 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 give anything away from Sunday. But faith promise is this. Lord, you pray and you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to give? Because I want to give extra so that we can buy more Bibles, so we can send more missionaries. It's strictly for missions. There's something, there's something about missions giving that just touches the heart of God. Because do you realize the heart of God is lost people? In missions and missionaries, they go primarily to reach lost people. Uh, some of you come from a Southern Baptist background. And, and, and you give to one thing, and then they send out uh, missionaries through that. Well, as an independent Baptist church, we send out our own missionaries. We, we support those who come, and they present their ministry. They present what they're doing and, and, and what God has called them to do. And then we, you know, we choose to either support them because they line up with our belief system. They line up with what we're trying to accomplish and, and planting churches and winning souls. And so that's where that money goes. Because so, a lot of people say, well, how, how does this go? Where does this go? How do we take care of that? That is the three primary ways that we give here at Temple. Through our tithes, which takes care of the ministry, the local ministry here. Then through our building, that's taking care of the, the, the building and the, uh, uh, the debt retirement there. And then through our missions giving. Now, some don't give to all three and some don't give to any. Some give to all three or some gives to missions and maybe not the rest. But here's what you say, what should I do? Whatever God tells you to do. Whatever God tells you to do. We're going to introduce something really important this coming Sunday, and it's called grace giving. Say that with me. Grace say it again. Grace that means you give out of grace because of what God has done for you. How many of you have been in church a long, long time? Long, long time. How many of y'all have ever been guilted into giving? I'm not saying you did it, but they tried. Okay, all right. You know, you don't love Jesus if you don't give to the, this fund that serves whatever, you know. That's not godly. 
And that should never, that should never be. You know, I wondered, I wondered, you know, I, all my life I've heard uh, that God loves a... Come on, say it. God loves a... Do you know when you give out a guilt, that's not very cheerful? It's not. And so I don't want Temple to ever give out of guilt. I don't want to ever be because you're afraid that God's going to be mad or God's going to be angry. It should always be, God, because of what you've done for me, I want to do this. And if you can't do that, then hold on to it till you can. Well, you never thought you'd hear a Baptist preacher say that, did you? Because I want God to bless it. I want God to touch it. Now, we're not doing it for that reason. We're doing it because he loves us, and he died for us. And we're motivated by love. And we're motivated by what he's done for us. That's why it's called grace. Never again, never again will anybody come up on the platform and try to guilt anybody into anything. We're going to give because we love Jesus and do it for that reason. So I want you to be praying about that and praying about our missions program. I am excited to be able to introduce to you Brother Jared Muscovic. Uh, he went to the same school we did and didn't let it bother him a bit. Amen? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, Brother Jared, come on up. And, uh, and uh, can, can, can y'all stand? I know y'all hate that kind of thing, and my wife does too. She kills me. But I want you to, I want you to uh, not y'all, not y'all. How many of y'all are glad the Muscovic family's with us tonight? Amen? Now, are you going to mention the hospital deal and all that? Because I, I want them to, because I bet they don't even remember. Come on up, Brother Jerry. Y'all welcome Brother Jerry Muscovic to the house today. Are they going to play the video first, or are you going to do your thing first? All right. the Muscovic family, missionaries serving in the country of Mexico. God has placed a great burden and calling upon our hearts to reach the Spanish-speaking people of this world, and that calling has led us into a life as missionaries to the country of Mexico. The people of Mexico are a society wrecked and ruined by a lack of truth and overwhelming spiritual darkness. Eighty-nine percent of the population of Mexico claim the religion of Catholicism, in addition to various indigenous religions that involve idol worship, lifeless rituals, and religious practices that leave the people feeling empty and confused. Mexico is home to the second largest community of Mormons and ranks third in the world with more than half a million practicing Jehovah's Witnesses. Evangelical Christians only make up less than 6% of the population. There is a serious moral degeneration resulting from this spiritual darkness. Since 2006, over 60,000 deaths related to drug violence have been confirmed. Reports of domestic violence are continually on the rise, as well as human trafficking and so much more. We cannot fix the problems of their society, but we know the one who can. We know the one who can offer them so much more than a cold, dead religion. We know the one who can give them a life of abundance and the assurance of eternal life. That is what we have been called to do, to carry the light of the gospel, to open their spiritual eyes, and to illuminate the darkness in their hearts.
Lord has directed our steps specifically to the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. Merida is the capital city of the state of Yucatan with a population of over one million people and is still growing. It is surrounded by many large villages that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. As with all of Mexico, Catholicism is the dominating religion in the Yucatan. There are also various other religions that promote a works-based salvation. We have a burden and calling to tell these people that all the work for salvation has already been accomplished through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, the Holy Ghost called Barnabas and Saul to be a missionary team reaching out to the lost with the gospel. They were a strength and encouragement to one another in their missionary experiences. The Lord has given us the amazing opportunity to work as a team with the families of my father-in-law, Brother Danny Ward, and veteran missionary, Brother Jason Thomas. As a team, we can be more effective in missionary endeavors and at the same time be an encouragement and strength to one another. I just want to first start and say thank you. 
for what this church has been to my family. Some of y'all might remember back in January 25th this year, um, my wife had this baby boy. And he was born with pneumonia. His lungs collapsed on him. The doctors weren't sure what was going to happen to him. His lungs are working good now. (laughs) They put him on a ventilator. They put him on four different ventilators. The doctors were saying, we're not sure what what to do next. And we started praying and seeking God's face. The bills were starting to pile up. And uh, the administration was even saying we might have to switch him to another hospital where he might not reach and get the same amount of care. Our insurance, we got insurance, but they weren't coming through at the time. It's just kind of a mess how that all works. And uh, our doctor said, you don't need to move him because he'd probably die if he goes another place. And I remember we got a, a letter in the mail or, or I think it, I can't remember it was an email or something. This church had taken up, I think, $2,500 y'all took up to cover bills so this kid didn't have to go to another hospital. And I thank the Lord for the prayers. It was, it's not just about money. Uh, I believe the Lord healed them and touched them. The doctors... Uh, they had a little bit of, in, of input on it, but uh, I know that uh, uh, the way they were acting, they, they said it was going to be months before he got out of the hospital, but he was only there 13 days, and I got touched him, and now he's doing great. They call him Chanchito in Mexico, which means little piglet. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's gaining some weight. He's catching up with his three-year-old brother already. He weighs almost as much as he does, but uh, w- the main reason we came tonight is just to thank y'all for being a part of our ministry and, and loving on some people in Mexico that are doing a work for the Lord, and we thank you. Thank you, Pastor, and all of y'all for what y'all have done for us, and uh, we thank y'all for uh, y'all's blessing, because he was a blessing, this little boy, and we thank y'all for that. I'm going to have my wife come and get this little critter. <laughs> that video, video you saw uh, is of our church. We... Um, we went to the mission field in uh, uh, July of 2012, me and my wife. We, uh, we got married uh, November of 2008. January of 2009, we, uh, we started deputation, and by 2012, we were on the field. Uh, we spent uh, two years uh, just look, doing the language, find out what God had us to do, where he wanted us to go, and he directed our steps to Medida, and uh, we started church two years ago with Brother Jason Thomas. I'm not sure if you know Brother Jason Thomas, Brother Carter. But uh, we were working as a team there. Uh, we started with just one family. There was, you saw us meeting outside on a table. That was Miss Sylvia. Pray for Miss Sylvia. She's right now, she's undergoing heart surgery. Uh, she'd been a year waiting for surgery. Me- the medical uh, institutions they got down there are just a mess. Socialized medicine there is horrible. They just throw you around for a year hoping you'll die before they, they help you. God's kept her alive. And now they have to actually do the surgery. But right now she's in surgery. So pray for Sylvia. She was the family that was involved with helping us to start our church. We started in her house. Her house was so full of stuff. We actually had to start outside underneath the stars. And we started out on Sunday nights just having a Bible study. We did that for a month. And then after the first month we found a house. It was a, just a two-bedroom house on the street corner uh, right across the street from a Catholic church. And we weren't looking for that to happen that way, but it just worked out. We're on a main avenue. There's tons of people that go by. 90% of the people that come to our church said that they started coming just by walking by, seeing a sign, and they started coming to the church. Uh, We've seen numerous people saved. Um, Right now, we're holding um, about, we had a living room, dining room, it's kind of L-shaped, and we were meeting there, and uh, we, you know, we're preaching this way and that way, and a lot of people, if they had conflict with each other, they just we just told them, sit on other sides of the auditorium. You can leave before the other one leaves, and, and you won't have to worry about nothing. And, uh, but God, uh, we filled that up quickly. There's about 30 chairs we had, and they're kind of like these. And uh, we fit about 60 Mexicans on 30 chairs, and I don't know how it was possible, but we did it. Uh, and um, we filled it up, and we were praying, Lord, what are we going to do next? And there, we had a garage. And the homeowner said, well, if you want to extend that out, you can. We'll let you do that, and we won't change the rent on you, and you can stay here as long as you want. And we said, okay, so we decided we'd do that, and we were able to double our capacity now to 60 chairs where they can all sit comfortably, but they wouldn't have it that way. Uh, they're fitting 80 to 90 people now uh, in this, uh, this little complex. You saw some of the uh, building projects. That's what we were doing. And you know what? They paid for it. They paid for it. We didn't go asking any church from the states for it. Uh, uh, they've been tithing and giving to God, 
and God bless them. We started a missions uh, conference two years ago. We're supporting five missionaries and six missionary works right now out of that church with Mexican pesos from Mexican people. There's one missionary. His name's Alfredo Uc. He's a missionary to Thailand. He just left for the field this spring, and our church supports him. Uh, and I thank the Lord for what he's doing in Medida. You pray for us as we continue to see the Lord work there. Um, we've switched our services. We were doing Sunday night service, Sunday morning. Now we're doing Sunday morning, uh, kind of a Sunday school hour, and then a Sunday morning service, and then Sunday evening we've uh, given them that day off because uh, there they have a six-day work week, and they need time for family, actually. So they, they, they struggle just to make it to church, or it's either go to church or have time with family. We say, well, you know what, come Sunday morning and take Sunday night off and enjoy the family. Uh, but that's allowed us the opportunity on Sunday nights to h- possibly go to another village and start another work. So pray for us. We're hoping this next year to be starting another church uh, in a fishing village that's just on the coast there, about 20 minutes away from where we're at, the church that we're at. It's called uh, the name of our church is Iglesia Bautista Resurrección, or Resurrection Baptist Church. We started right around uh, Resurrection Sundays when we started the church, so we felt uh, we should call it that. And um, God's been blessing there. You pray for our church. Pray for the Lord's direction. We're praying that the Lord would possibly either give us land or, or, or give us another building that we can rent uh, that would be bigger, uh, that we could uh, facilitate the people because we're bust at the seams and we don't know what to do next. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all have dealt with that. Uh, y'all got a lovely building here. I praise the Lord for what God's doing here at Temple. And uh, pray for my family. Uh, we came back to visit y'all and to say thank you. And we took care of some paperwork. Uh, we've got needs. Every missionary's got needs, it seems like, all the time. This is Brother Travis Sharp. Uh, I know he's out of this church, and he'll tell you every, there's always something that a missionary can do with a dollar to help somebody for Jesus. But uh, y'all pray for us. Pray for our needs personally. God knows what they are. God will meet those needs. And uh, we thank you so much for the opportunity for us to be here. Real quickly, I want to, if you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. I'm going to be brief. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. To the Apostle Paul, he's writing, fully inspired by God. And God says, just testify. And he says in verse 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. He looked back in verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles. Sounds kind of cocky at first. He's saying he labored more than, it, than anybody, but he says, by the grace of God. But he says in verse 9 before, that, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. We could probably go into a four-week revival taking time to let everyone come up to an open mic and take as long as you need to to tell the story of how God changed your life and you can say and testify, I am what I am by the grace of God. And we could go into four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. We could probably go into this time next year just among this crowd thanking God of how gracious God's been to us and identifying that we are who we are by the grace of God. That's the title of my message. This evening is, I am what I am by the grace of God. I believe each and every one of us as Christians, uh, we can grow in our Christian faith. We can grow in our Christian walk if we get a better appreciation of the grace that God's given us. But the only way to get the appreciation of the grace that God's given us is to get a better understanding of the great lengths he went with his grace. The great lengths he went. I want to share you three quick truths real quickly, and then I'm finished. I'll be done. We'll go sit down. Y'all go get your kids. We'll go home. Uh, But I I want us to look at the life of Paul and how God was gracious in the life of Paul and how he not only was gracious in the life of Paul, but how he was gracious in our lives. If you would, would, go over to Acts chapter number 7. Acts chapter number 7, verse 54. Here's a man named Stephen. He's one of the, I don't know, you say the one of the deacons of the first uh, church at Jerusalem. Back then, they didn't have to say what denomination they were. They didn't have to say uh, what label or tag they were because they were the only ones. Uh, They were the church. Uh, That was a new term for them back then. Uh, But Stephen was one of the deacons of these churches, or of this church, spirit-filled by God. Oh, Lord, we had deacons, Holy Ghost filled by God uh, today, but uh, he was filled by God, but he was also a preacher. 
and he would preach to those around him. And he was preaching one day to some religious men, some religious Jewish men, telling him that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, that he fulfilled the laws uh, or all the prophecies of the Old Testament. Uh, He was exactly what Moses and Abraham and all these uh, prophets of old were looking to and saying that's what's going to come. Jesus was a fulfillment of that, and Stephen was trying to testify and tell these religious men that Jesus was in fact the Messiah and there was no need to look for another anymore. Let's look down and see what happens. Chapter 7, verse 54 says, when they heard these things, talking about these religious men that Stephen was preaching to, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. I like to stop there and say for a second, when you decide to stand up for Jesus Christ, you decide to say you don't care what your family thinks, you don't care what your friends think, you don't care what uh, anybody thinks, but you say, you know, I'm going to be a witness in a dark world, and you stand up for him, he'll stand up for you. You say, well, how do you know that, Brother Jared? Well, look, it says right here. It says, uh, uh, verse 56, and he says, and, and, uh, and said, behold, I see the heavens open. And the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. And they ran upon him with one accord. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet. Whose name was Saul. Now if you've been to Sunday school. And you know much about the life of the Apostle Paul. He wasn't always called Paul. I wonder how many of us in here tonight. Before we met Jesus, we had a different name that people called us. We had a nickname down at the bar or down at the, the workplace. And, and we had a name that we went by that meant something else. But when we met Jesus, Jesus gave us a new name and changed our pathway. Well, the Apostle Paul used to be called Saul. And I don't know about you, preacher, but I believe this was him. I believe this was Saul. This is Paul, the one that in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, we say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I believe this is him here, and he's seeing Stephen being stoned for what he believes in. The first truth about God's grace I want to mention tonight is that God was gracious in directing his presence in Paul's life. He didn't have to. You see, Saul was a persecutor of the church. Paul was a a persecutor, or Saul at the time was a persecutor of the church. He's a persecutor of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And you know what? Jesus could have said, you know what? You're persecuting my church and flicked flicked him off the planet and said, you know what? I'm done with you. I don't need you messing with my church. But no, he didn't. He decided to direct his presence in Paul's life. Allowed Stephen to be stoned in front of his face. Ain't nothing going to change a person than to see a man die for what he believes in. But not just, not just anyone dying for what they believe in, but someone who dies believing in Jesus Christ. That's a lot more weight and a lot more power than someone dying for that cause because there's a lot of people that die for causes. A lot of people die for what they believe in, but there's something different when a man says, you know what, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to shut my mouth. I believe in what he says is true, and I'm going to tell those about it when he believes that way. And he dies for it. It holds some weight. Well, anyways, Saul, God directed his presence in his life and allow Stephen to be stoned in front of him. Let me ask you a question. Where were you when God first directed his presence in your life? You realize he was doing it a lot earlier than that? He's doing a lot earlier than that before the foundations of the world were put in place. Jesus Christ was already ready. Now, I'm not giving you... King James Version or anything, I'm giving you Jared Version, but but before the foundations of the world were put in place, Jesus was ready to die for you and for me. If it would have been me, if I'd have been God, I would have said, you know what? Forget this. We've been living for eternity. Just uh, me, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, we don't need to do anything else. We don't need to create these wicked people that are going to become wicked. We don't need to create this creation. It's going to mess up. But you know what? Jesus still created us and still sent his son to die for us and he directed his presence in our lives i want to take you back the place is uh early 1960s the place was detroit michigan there's a little boy named anthony about three years old it was in the project area of, of detroit michigan his uh 
Mom was the nicest way to put it, a prostitute. Had four different brothers and sisters, all from different daddies. It was right around the holidays, right around this time, almost towards Christmas. He woke up one morning saying, Mama, Mama. Mama was nowhere to be seen. She decided to run out and follow her addictions instead of being the mom that she was supposed to be to her kids. Anthony talked to his, his older sister and said, I don't know what to do. What are we going to do? And she said, you know, I called your daddy. You're going to go live with your biological father. Anthony went to go live with his biological father thinking, well, maybe this will be a little better. The, the, the lifestyle he lived in was dirty. It was a mess. Uh, it was broken. And all of a sudden, he pulls up in the house where his daddy lives. It's a brick house, white picket fence, nice brand new car in the driveway. Looked like the Amer- American dream at that time. And he had a, a, a dad, a stepmom, and a stepbrother go live with. And he went to live with them. But after the first few weeks, he realized that his dad was an alcoholic and a drunk, an abusive one that would beat and, 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 and hit on his stepmom through the weekends. And sometimes that abuse spilled over onto Anthony and his stepbrother. His dad loved guns. He would clean his guns up. And, and uh, every once in a while, he would just, as a joke, point the gun at Anthony. Click. Anthony's playing with his toys on the ground. Anthony never knew the love of an earthly father. Got involved with drugs and alcohol. Uh, uh, he went for everything that sin had to offer. When he was 18 years old, a preacher came to his house. He sat down on the couch and preached the gospel to him. Went down the Romans road. Got to Romans 10, 13 where it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anthony, that hit Anthony in the heart like a two-edged sword. He... He mulled over it for two years. But he kept hearing it. It was his first memory verse. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As he tried to roll a joint. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As he tried to hang out with his buddies. By the time, uh, every, every day it just kept getting louder and louder. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he was sitting by his bed that night. And he saw the track that preacher gave him just collecting dust. On the dresser. He went to pick it up and he picked that thing up and he saw the verse on it again. He said, that makes sense. That's all I got to do is call out on Jesus Christ for salvation. See, Anthony grew up Catholic and he knew religion, but he didn't know Jesus Christ. He got down on his knees beside his bed and he called out to Jesus Christ and he asked him to save him. Y'all know what happened next? Come, He got saved. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful I serve a God that fulfills His promises. I'm thankful I serve a God that's going to do what He said He was going to do. And He saved Anthony and changed him. Well, you know what? Salvation was not enough for Anthony. He got on fire for God and decided to go on to Bible college to be a preacher. And he went on to Bible college. Same time his life was going on, it was the late 1950s. The place was Cincinnati, Ohio. There's a young woman in her early 20s wanting to ride to church. A deacon of the church with a wife, three boys, said, we'll take you to church. They started taking her, church, taking her to church, and after a while, the man of the house started getting things mixed up. He would take his family home first, and then he'd take this young woman home by himself. Next thing you know, this young woman winds up pregnant. They cover up the sin. The, the, little, the, the product of that sin was a little girl named Lynn. Little Lynn grew up never knowing who her daddy was. Living right beside her daddy, he was a friend of the family, but they covered the sin up, and little Lynn never experienced the love of an earthly father. But when she got into her teens, she found out the love of a heavenly father, and God changed her life and, and saved her. And you know what? Uh, uh, being saved was not enough for her either. She got on fire, and she went on to Bible college. She happened to be going to the same Bible college that Anthony was going to. Anthony's walking down the, the hall one day. I can't whistle very good. <laughs> he saw Lynn. I guess Lynn thought Anthony was pretty good looking too because the next thing you know, you heard wedding bells in the air. Not too long after that, you hear cries from the nursery of a hospital. A little baby's being born. I was one of those babies. I said all that to say, 
that God was gracious in directing his presence, not just in Paul's life, but God was gracious in directing his presence in my life that before I even existed, he took my daddy from a broken home and a broken, messed up situation, and he took my mama from a people that were trying to cover up their sin, and he said, I'll save them, I'll change them, and I'll allow them to raise a, some children that will serve the Lord. It's by God's grace that he directed his presence in my life. Think about it. Where were you? And God directed his presence in your life. It was a lot earlier than that. It was before you existed. Secondly, not only that, not only was God gracious in directing his presence, secondly, Acts chapter 9, just for sake of time, I'm not going to read the scripture. We've got 12 minutes left. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 6, we see Saul on the uh, um, Damascus Road heading to persecute more Christians. And Jesus stops him dead in his tracks, shines a light around him and says, hey, why are you persecuting me? And he's first saying, well, who in the world are you? He said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. Is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? And then he was trembling and astonished. He said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And he said, go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And later on, Ananias met him and He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and at some point in time, God saved him and changed him and gave him a new name. But the second truth I want us to know is that not only did God direct his presence in our lives and in Paul's life, but he also displayed his power. He displayed his power in Paul's life when he met him on the Damascus Road. Let me ask you tonight, now, don't raise your hands because some of them might think you're crazy. How many of you were on your way to Food City or Walmart one day? I mean, this is specific. You were on your way to Walmart. Food City, wherever, I don't know what's the grocery stores y'all got around here. I think Walmart's a big one. Well, you're on your way, and you just listen to your tunes, and all of a sudden, bam! Jesus is standing on the hood of your car. You can't see a thing around you. All you see is white light, but you can see him, and he's speaking to you, saying that he's Jesus. And you're saying, man, Pastor Carter was right. I've been going to church, but I didn't believe him. But I tell you what, Jesus really is real, and he really did rise from the dead, because he's standing on the hood of my car. And you got saved and got changed. Anyone got that specific testimony? Nobody? I didn't think so. You're not going to raise your hand if you're thinking that. But, but do you realize the same light that shined around the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road is the same light that was shining around you and me when we got saved? God displayed his power in Paul's life. If you're in here tonight and you're saved, God displayed his power in your life as well. And we can praise the Lord and say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But you know what? He didn't have to. He didn't have to display that power. Like I said, not only could have he flicked Paul off the planet, but he could have met us where we were at and said, you know what? You don't deserve to exist either. Boop! And flicked us off. But you know, Jesus and God, the Father and the Holy Spirit, they got a case of the I can't help it. Because over in 1 John, I think it's 4.17, it says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. This world goes around talking about love and how much they love this person, how much they love that person, and all the world needs is love. What they're trying to say really honestly is what the truth is. All they really need is God. The world needs God. And if they had God, then they would have love because God is love. And God was gracious because... He's love. He doesn't just have love for us. He is love. And that's why he's gracious in displaying his power in our lives. I was born in a Christian home. I was born in Hammond, Indiana. My dad went to Bible college there. And uh, by the time I was three years old, we moved to Seattle, Washington. Lived there for a year. After that, we lived in Grovestown, Texas. We were with Larry Bullard down there for a year. After that, we moved to Brooklyn, New York. After that, Cincinnati, Ohio. After that, uh, North Augusta, South Carolina. I think I was eight years old by the time we made it to North Augusta, South Carolina. And uh, some people thought my dad worked for the CIA or something. We traveled so much. Uh, I, still, I still don't know. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, uh, I had grown up. I, I had a drug problem. My only drug problem was I got drugged to this church and to that church. And that, that, was, uh, that was my problem. And, and eventually I started going because I wanted to go. But I was being drugged to church just like I'm drugging, dra- dragging my kids right now to church. My son sometimes is like, I just want to go to bed, Daddy. I don't want to go to church. I said, no, son, you got to go to church. Those aren't angels over there. 
But I remember I was nine years old. It was May 5th, 1993. We were at the camp meetings. Brother Ed McAbee was preaching on a Thursday night on hell. And I realized for the first time that I was lost. And I was going to that hell without Jesus Christ. And I went down the altar and I asked God to save me. Y'all know what he did? He saved me. How about that? Uh, the same power uh, that he displayed in my dad's life in his bedroom when he called out on him for salvation and the same power that he displayed on the Damascus Road when Paul got saved, he still had some left over for me. And when I was nine years old, I called out on him and that same power was displayed in my life and changed me. I wasn't a criminal. I mean, although my mom probably would say so sometimes, but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a wicked person. But you know what, I was going to the same place that all the wicked people were going to until I met Jesus. Let me ask you tonight, has God displayed His power in your life? If He hasn't, He wants to. See, you know what, I love, I grew up in a big church, I grew up in Victory, is a big church, and I love big churches, I, I, I love to see a lot of people. And you know what, but big churches, people can get lost in the crowd. And get shuffled into the mix. There's some people, they get shuffled into position uh, of actually serving the Lord and they're not even saved yet. It happens. I, I guarantee it probably doesn't happen here. I'm sure every person that's working right now is a saint, born-again believer. But uh, I believe that about this church. But, but there are churches where people get involved with religion, but they're not saved. And they've never seen that power displayed in their lives. So I ask you tonight, has God displayed that power in your life? I hope he has. I hope we all can just uh, raise our hands up in the air and say, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I'm so thankful for that power that he's displayed in my life. But if he hasn't, he's waiting on you. And he'll display it in your life if you'll let him. The thing is, you've got to open your eyes. A lot of times, we don't want to see stuff. So we close them. But if we open our eyes, we can see what God has for us. Not only that, not only is God gracious in displaying or in, dis, in directing his presence, in displaying his power. But lastly, in uh, the end, towards the end of Acts chapter 9, Ananias is talking with Jesus, or the, with the Lord, and the Lord says, Hey, Ananias, I want you to go and touch Paul, heal him of his blindness, or Saul at the time, heal him of his blindness, because I've got great things for him to do. He's going to be a witness before kings and Jews and Gentiles. Now, if you're in here tonight and you're not a Jew, you don't have any Jewish blood in you, Paul was called to reach somebody that was going 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 to reach somebody in Coleman, Alabama that was going to reach you. God had a plan for his life. And the third thing is God, uh, um, this, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get this, these all uh, corrected by, I don't do this by memory too much, but he, what was number one? He directed his presence, he displayed his power, and number three, he designed his plan. And he was gracious in doing that. You know, he didn't have to design any plan for any of us. He's too busy with the stars. He's too busy with holding the moon and the sun in place and all the planets. And he's too busy keeping this earth the way it is. And he's too busy with so many other things than to take time to design a plan for us. But he designed a specific plan for the Apostle Paul. And you know what? It doesn't stop there. He designed a specific plan for you if you're saved and you're a believer. God's got a specific plan. Long story short, I got saved uh, when I was just um, nine years old. When I was 13, I went to summer camp upstate Vermont. And I know the Lord lives in the south. But in the summertime, when it's warmer, he makes trips up north. And I happened to be there. I happened to be there in the summer when he was there. The Holy Spirit was there too. And they moved in the camp uh, while I was there. And the whole week I was convicting my heart about something. Didn't know what it was. By the end of the week, I realized God was calling me to preach. And I said, uh-uh. I'm not going to be a preacher because preachers are poor. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, can I get a witness? But he already volunteered. <laughs> but I thought preachers are blessed. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought preachers were poor. That's what the devil was telling me. And I didn't want nothing to do with it. Later on, I went to Mexico for the first time. I went with, my first time I went, I went with Doyle Berry and his wife with a crowd of other people. A guy named Chris O'Neill was there with us. That was the first time I went. I was in my teens. 
And I went there, and the whole week God was dealing with my heart about something. By the end of the week, I realized God wanted me not just to preach, but to preach in Spanish. And I said, uh-uh, I'm not going to preach in Spanish. I said, you know what, I thought God was using this just to direct me. Say, so, okay, here's the ultimatum. You either preach in Spanish or you preach for me. And I said, how about this? How about I'll preach for you, Lord, but not in Spanish? But that wasn't God's plan. I remember uh, I went uh, my first year at Victory. Uh, hey, Brother uh, Malcolm was one of my teachers. And I think I still owe you money for one of the syllabuses or something. But, uh, but he was one of my teachers. I spent that first year totally backslidden. Totally backslidden. Uh, I uh, switched from that school to another school because I said, I told my parents, you know what, I think I messed up. I'm not called to preach. I, I don't want to serve the Lord this way. I went to another school. My roommate was a Hispanic guy. My sweet mate, they have a sweet mate. There's a bathroom, there's a guy uh, next to another room next to us. The other guy in the other room, he was talking, he was a white guy talking Spanish to one of his buddies. Found out he was a missionary's kid to Mexico. I couldn't get away from it. Long story short, I met my wife. I said, okay, Lord, you want me to serve you in Mexico, but I got to get a wife first. I wanted to date this girl. She was friends with my sister. I wanted to date her. I found out, before I even knew I wanted to date her, after I found out the background, I found out her dad was a missionary to Mexico. (laughs) And I said, Lord, what are you doing? You know, and real quickly I realized that God had a specific plan for my life and it was to serve him on the field of Mexico so that way there's some people that might not have been reached if it wasn't for God sending me. But you realize, normally I have to wear a tie, and I don't like wearing ties. In Mexico, I don't wear ties, but sometimes we go to churches here, and you have, you have to wear a jacket and a tie and all that. And, and people look at you and think, oh, man, look at the preacher with his shiny shoes. My shoes aren't that shiny right now. Um, but look at his outfit. Look at, look at him with his Bible and his scholarly looks and all that he knows. And, and, and you know what? God's got a great work for them. For them, God's got something for them. But not for me. I realize that the person staying at the pulpit is no better than the person in the pew. And that God's got something specific for each and every one of us. But we've got to search out what that is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for Pastor Carter. Thank you for Temple Baptist Church. Thank you for their movement, Lord, and their support of our ministry and our family, Lord, through a difficult time. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd bless us this evening as a pastor comes and close out this service where we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Amen, preacher. Hey, come up here just a second. I want to do something real quick. Uh, now, now, he's a missionary serving, planting churches and everything. I used to grow up. I used to grow up. <laughs> I don't want to grow up. I'm, no. When I was growing up, I thought these were different people. These were just special people. These were like, you know, whoo. Do you know what? He's just a dude, man. He's a regular guy that was going to church, just like you're going to church. And God says, I got a plan for you. Say, why are you telling us this? Because one of you may need to go to Mexico or Germany or Belgium or Zimbabwe. You know what? I was just a regular dude. I was just going to church because my dad made me until I liked it like you did. And God says, I want you to do this. Listen, God's got a plan for everybody's life. And this is the deal. This is the deal. I got to quit. I'm going to blame it on you. Uh, them children's workers, they get sideways, you know. Uh, we were, when you were talking about Victory in North Augusta, I started reminiscing and thinking about one of the things that we used to do at Victory was sing choruses a lot. Sing, and I love singing choruses. I mean, it was just something different than what I did in my home church. And it was really, really jacked up and exciting. I mean, it, y'all would have really loved it. And one of the choruses we sung was, Everybody Ought to Know. You may not have heard it, but it's everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know who Jesus is. 
Everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know, everybody ought to know who Jesus is. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000. Everybody ought to know. And they ought to. But we got to make sure and send them. Amen? Let's stand up. Let's stand up. Y'all give Brother Muscovic a hand and his family a hand. Amen. Amen. I got here late. I apologize. Do you have a table or anything out there? None? Prayer cards? Okay. All right. Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you go hang out in the foyer and, uh, and you got your prayer cards on you? And, and y'all stop by and, and, and tell Brother Jared you're praying for him and, uh, and, and mean it too. Don't just, uh, they, they need it. They need prayer. Uh, God's doing a great work with them. Anytime you do something great, the devil's going to fight it. Amen? He's doing that here. I'm, how many of y'all have had a rough week this week? Be, and you're willing to be honest. Raise your hand so I can see it. Raise your hand. Rough week. Listen, that's great news. That makes me feel better. Amen? Not that you've had a bad week, but it just tells me we're doing something right. Satan is not going to attack something that's not a danger to his kingdom. And God is doing some incredible things here, so he's going to fight. So we're going to fight back. Amen? Well, let's pray, and uh, we'll be dismissed and run and get your kids and, and blame it on Jalen. He's back there. We'll blame, no, I'm kidding. They won't believe that. No way. Amen. All right. Lord, thank you.